Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I'm super excited to share this awesome interview today with you. I'm chatting with Steve Villanueva, who runs a brand called Otero Menswear. And his brand specifically creates clothing. Right now they do shirts for men between the height of 5'4 and 5'9. It's a very niche market, but it turns out they actually serve a lot of people who don't have a lot of options out there in the industry. So Steve talks us through all sorts of things in terms of why they decided on this market, how they validated the market to make sure that it was a good decision, what their production and design and development processes looked like, how they got funding to kick off their brand, what their launch was like, hint, hint, it wasn't amazing, and what they did to sort of fix that and recover from a little bit of a terrible experience. He's very transparent, and he goes through all the processes of how they kick-started and how they're growing Otero Menswear, and I know you guys are going to love the interview. As always, thank you so much for listening. Before we jump in, I wanted to tell you that SFD is much more than a podcast. I know a lot of you out there listening maybe have only heard the podcast, and that's fantastic. I'm so glad to have you here, but I also want to let you know about all the other things that happen in Successful Fashion Designer. I have tons of templates and tutorials and free ebooks on things like learning Illustrator for fashion, tech packs, landing your dream fashion job, your fashion portfolio, and so much more. 90% of my resources are absolutely free. I give them away because I want to help you succeed in this tough cutthroat industry. And I'm sorry if I didn't mention this to you sooner, but I did want to let you know now. And so here's what I did. I put together my best free content just for you as a podcast listener to help you get ahead in your fashion career. And I would love to email it to you right now. So this is the best way to get that. Take 30 seconds, hit pause in this episode right now, and go to SoHeidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email for instant access to my best free stuff. Again, SoHeidi.com slash email, and you will get instant access to all of these amazing things as well as so much more that I have to offer you absolutely free. As always, access to the show notes you can get by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Steve. Welcome, Steve, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, can you please start out by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Okay. My name is Steve Villanueva, and um, I'm the founder of Otero Menswear. And we focus our product on guys who are short, basically, guys who are between 5'4 and 5'9". It seems that you know, every brand out there designed to this imaginary average of five foot 11, <laughs> um, at least on the men's side. And if you're six, two and above, you kind of struggle, but they've got big and tall men's stores and there just really hasn't been a great, you know, group of, of companies that have focused on the shorter man. Although close to 40% of people are five, nine and below in terms of the male population. Oh wow! So it's a significant um, group that is just under, you know, serviced. And so we designed our company around specifically addressing 
you know, the need of those men who are considered shorter men. Yeah. Are you your own target market? Yes, I am. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I mean, that was really what got me into the business. My background is not in the apparel space at all, but I've been frustrated, you know, my life over trying to find clothes that fit. And it wasn't just about finding something shorter. Uh, It was really about thinking through the whole fit um, issue from, you know, kind of starting from scratch and trying to create something that's going to, you know, provide a better way for men to dress. And that was really what I was, the path I was set on is to find a better way. And I think we found a solution that nobody has done. Nobody has even approached. And it's pretty revolutionary for the space. Very cool. And I want to talk, um, I definitely want to get into sort of like how that all works because it's not just about like hem the pants. It's not just like take three inches off the bottom of the pants, right? There's more to it than that to make sure that it actually fits your body proportionally and correctly. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty of that, um, give us a little background on like when did you start and how did that all look? I mean, you said you didn't come from a fashion background. What did, what, what was your background and like how did you really kick this off? Well, my background's pretty extensive. I have a business background, and I ended up deciding, you know, I'm going to do something completely different. So I went to law school. So I went to Stanford back in the day, um, got out of school and worked in the Silicon Valley doing transactional corporate work, doing mergers, acquisitions, venture capital fundings. I was very focused on the startup community. So in that, I had a very, you know, appetite that was building and building and building to be involved in the startup um, arena. From there, I practiced for a number of years, decided that, you know, uh, law was too restricting, um, too narrow. So quit law, went back to school, got an MBA. And from that, really focused in on just learning how to understand business from end to end. And I had some really Phenomenal opportunities, largely in the electronic spaces with companies like Dell, IBM, Flextronics, where I got to pretty much learn the business from design and development all the way through, you know, the providing the product to, to the customer. So from the finance side, through the accounting side, through the procurement side, through, you know, all the engineering piece to the sales, marketing, and ultimately logistics and delivery. So I've had pretty unique opportunity to not be funneled into a specific area, but to work at an executive level across the companies. And even though and it so, wasn't in fashion and apparel specifically, you were able, obviously it's the processes crossover. Correct. Um, what I've learned in all my years is that it really doesn't matter what you're putting through the funnel. Um, it's about understanding the business and understanding why things need to be done, how they need to be done, and the most efficient way to get those things done. It's about knowing how to develop the relationships to, you know, get things done. So it's much more about understanding the process. And I think a lot of people in the startup world specifically, but at any business level, fails when they don't have a clear end-to-end understanding. There's a lot of, for instance, on the apparel side, I've talked to so many designers who have great ideas and great designs and you know, are really strong on the aesthetic aspect of the business. But when it comes to actually how to develop a supplier relationship, how to, you know, source overseas, how to, you know, import product in, how to, you know, the the nuts and bolts of the business, they 
they have no idea and they fall or they get into relationships that just take advantage of them. So, so I've, I've found again that whether, you know, no matter what you're putting down the line, it's really about knowing the end to end of the business. And I um, went from some of those larger companies to being much more entrepreneurial um, and kind of deep dived into the smaller startup realm with um, a, you know, furniture design company with, um, I started a natural foods company out of Boulder, Colorado. I was one of the founders of Hope Foods, which makes Hope Hummus, which is one of the kind of only organic hummus um, solutions that was out there. Um, So I've done food, I've done, you know, furniture, I've done medical equipment, I've done a lot of different things. And so by the time I decided I want to enter this apparel space, it was really about, you know, understanding the technology and what I can bring to, you know, the technology, understanding how the industry has approached, you know, solutions that have been really in place since the 40s. I mean, our whole sizing system really came out of World War II. Mm-hmm. Prior to World War II, you know, people got clothes custom made. Um, but once the government needed, you know, millions and millions of clothes that were standard sizes, that kind of just became the thing and carried over through the industries. And not a lot has changed since then. And so, and, you know, and even though there's a standard, every brand is a little bit off, a little bit different, which is really apparent in women's wear, but um, yeah. <laughs> in men's wear, but there still is a brand to brand, you know, kind of feel you've got to get. But nobody has really looked at it and said, how do we do this different? So I started off trying to really understand the technology um, before I kind of dove into what, you know, designs I desired. I had already that in my head, in my heart. I kind of wanted a fashion forward looking um, clothes that had very nice design elements to them, but were not too much. Um, so they could fit both in a casual as well as a very professional kind of setting. So that's kind of what I was going for in, in terms of the tech, um, the design aesthetic. But I really first wanted to understand the business, understand the you know ethnography um, analysis around why men buy, how do they buy, what is their emotions about buying, and so we kind of you know our team spent a lot of time studying those things before we even took the step of 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 venturing into the business side. And how, like, was, where are we, where are we at in a timeline? Like when did you really kind of start kicking this off with what you're, what I hear as like customer research? 2016. Okay. So we're recording August of 2019. So roughly three years. Is that fair? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I started the research in early 2016. We ended up um, incorporating in October of 2016 and then launched the product, you know, 15 months after that. Okay. But you started with the customer research phase. Is is that what I'm hearing? Okay. So yeah, talk a little bit about that because we've had some of their guests on the show and, um, you know, customer research is something I can literally nerd out on for like days. Um, We won't bore the listeners too much, but it's such a valuable stage of the process. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly you guys did to understand your potential customer and make sure there was a need and a demand and then figure out how you can meet that through your research? What exactly did you guys do? Well, the first thing we wanted to do was understand behavior. And so we literally went and stood at malls and stood in in department stores and watched men um, and women come into a men's department and just see what they did. And it was really interesting because it, 
it drove a lot. It helped us, us define kind of our core messaging. So what you found is that if a guy walks in alone, he pretty much just beelines to the area that he knows, <laughs> grabs the thing he's used to in black or gray or whatever, or blue, yeah. and takes off. But if he walks in with a woman, they walk in the men's department, and quickly he's trying to get away from her. <laughs> and he goes to try to go to his, his you know, the place that he knows his to get his thing zone. and get out. <laughs> and all of a sudden she finds, circles back around and says, oh, we think you need to I think you need to try that in green or red or yellow, you know, and, you know, he kind of gets deflated and has to go and he tries on multiple things. And that's how that <laughs> process works. So he wants to get in and out. Um, she wants to redesign him. And that was an interesting thing because what you find out. So we followed on that with actual interviews and we conducted a bunch of interviews of people, um, both through an interviewing firm, as well as our own kind of just walking up to people. And what you find out is that what drives that behavior of men is actually something that is common to both men and women, and that is body shame issues. Mm. Guys have as much body shame issues as women. It's just that we don't share it in um, culturally as part of our group environment. Yeah. Women talk about it. They share, they laugh, they cry. They, you know, it's part of their relationship. And for guys, they never venture past that line, even though it's all an internalized experience. So you have to understand that when a woman looks at you and says, um, I think you need to try this, or what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> you need to try this. A guy just deflates and becomes, you know, tiny and yeah. it's, it's hurtful. And Guys, for the most part, no matter what age they are, are still the little boy who wants mommy to just say, oh, you're so handsome, my little boy. You know, yeah. you're, you're just my beautiful little boy. And that's what they're wanting to have in that experience. And when that doesn't happen, um, and, you know, there's no doubt that the advice that he is receiving is probably far better than what he would have chosen on his own. Um, <laughs> It still hits them emotionally in that way, and it creates a body shame issue. Yeah. And he doesn't want to put on a shirt that he thinks looks good, and somebody then says it doesn't. You know, someone who's a, a female who's important to him. Yeah. And so. Well, hold on. You know. So what what kind of questions exactly were you asking? Because I mean, it sounds like you got some really deep um, feedback on just sort of like the psychology behind a lot of this, which I think is so important in the in the research and the product development process, but. Um, you said you worked through an interview firm and then you just did some random interviews where you just kind of walked up to people. But like, what exactly were you asking? Well, for instance, like on my personal ones that I did, you know, I would watch behavior and I'd go up and say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And so, you know, I saw this happen. What were you feeling? What were you thinking? Mm -hmm. You know, and just trying to get the guy to open up. And if he was hesitating or whatever, I would suggest, did that make you feel, you know, stupid to make you yeah. feel small to make you feel you know whatever yeah. and just try to get them engaged get them talking and you know we had crafted quite a, a few um questions with the interview firm that were all psychologically oriented yeah um so it's just you know business oriented um because i really wanted to get in the head i knew how i felt as a shorter man specifically and um and I just knew that that was just intuitively, that was a shared experience. Um, it's just that guys keep all that in. So, so I just wanted to tap into it. Yeah. And confirm that, you know, what it, for instance, what it led is one of our core messaging and how it also altered my design. But the core, and I'll get to the design part, but on the core messaging side, it really drove the message of confidence. 
Yeah. And how to feel confident and how to be confident and knowing that you look in a certain way that you can walk into a room with confidence. And that was kind of drove a big piece of our messaging of Otero Mentor. Yeah, and so it's like really kind of digging to the bottom of the feeling and the emotion behind this behavior and these actions that you see the customer taking in the store when they're trying things on or like how they feel about it. But like you like you said, you just kind of have to understand those feelings and ask about them. Like, I noticed you did this. How did you feel? And then it sounds like a lot of that came back to like, oh, I don't feel so great about my body. And turns out a lot of us don't. And if you can turn that around with clothes that make them feel confident, make them feel good in their body, then that gives you an advantage to sell. In theory, yes. Yeah, yeah. in theory. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, okay, so you do all the customer research and then you feel like you have an understanding and, and what comes next? So the next piece was starting is is finding the right kind of technical designer who could work with me and really help bring my vision to light. Okay. And um, and also at the same time we started working on the key kind of branding pieces and you know messaging and what was going to define us what what was going to be our look what was going to be the style that our branding was going to communicate. So it was actually really interesting. I got a hold of a pretty famous um, designer. She's written kind of one of the books that everybody, you know, has to have. Um, And she's actually out of New Mexico, where I originate from. And so I called her up. We talked New Mexico. I think I know who it is. I think she's been on the podcast. Can we say the name? You can. Kathleen Fasanella? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so we, we started talking New Mexico a little bit. So that got us all chummy, chummy, which was nice. And yeah. then we were talking, I was telling her about what I was wanting to do. And she was like, look, there's a big designer conference going on in Denver this weekend. I think I was talking to her on a Wednesday and, or Thursday, and it started that Friday. And she was, you need to get there. Go meet people. Go talk to them. So I go to this conference just in the next day or two, and, and it's all just focused almost 100% on women's wear. No attention to men at all. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. So <laughs> I'd go to the, you know, the little sit-downs, the little groups, whatever. I couldn't find anybody who was really interested in, in men's stuff. And you know, I was going to start off with knits, and knits you know, pretty much have been shipped overseas in terms of the equipment. And finding, you know, I was also searching to see if anybody was playing on the manufacturing side Uh, and, you know, no, nobody who could do, um, you know, kind of men's apparel at any kind of reasonable rate, or even did they want to disrupt their line for any, for a new startup. So I was kind of searching all that out. And at the end of the show, I was just kind of like, Oh gosh, this is frustrating. Okay. I'm going. And as I was getting ready to walk out of the, um, convention center i turn and there's a table with a handful of women um there and i I was like you know there were these two blonde ladies talking to each other and i was like "Eh, i'll go up and talk to them see what happens so i go up to this one and i was like hey here's what i'm doing i want to start a new line here's what it's blah 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 but i'm looking for someone who has experience in menswear and she goes oh my sister does and points to the woman who is next to her and um and that's where I met Hillary Glenn. 
And who's also been on the show. We'll link to both the both Kathleen and Hillary's interviews in the um, show notes. Ironically, you and I did not get connected through any of these people. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking to Hillary, and she's you know has done you know she had had quite a bit of experience and had done a lot of menswear, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. And come to find out, she's also from Boulder, where I was from. And I was like, oh my god, that's going to make life so much easier. And I said, but now I'm really also looking for a branding person who, you know, who's great, not only at the creative design side, but photography. And she goes, oh, well, let me introduce you to my sister, which was the first person <laughs> I talked to. So, um, you know, Hillary and Jillian, um, which have, they've gone off now and started their own line called Glenn and Glenn. Yeah. Just a beautiful women's wear line. But yeah. here we have two sisters and um, we instantly all became great friends and started working together. So Jillian really helped me in... Um, my branding and the image and um, Hillary, um, you know, we started to move forward on the design piece. And one of the things on the design side, if this is an appropriate time to jump to it, is that I had in my mind techniques that I wanted to incorporate into the design. So not only was it going to have a certain amount of style and flair um, and fashion on the higher end of things, I also wanted to create a visual way for my clothes to lean and lengthen a person visually. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, so as I started to speak to Hillary about these things, we started creating together this, this approach that would create in, in essence, kind of like makeup. We, um, on our middle and high end shirts, we have these side panels that are actually, even though they're, same color there we use a different material so let's say we're using a liquid cotton jersey for um the body we i might use a very fine rib or a fine piquet just on these side panels which literally causes the eye to just move centrally and inward and so in fact one of the comments i get a lot from people who bought our shirts is people keep asking me if i've lost 10 pounds or you know so it does create that visual effect of leaning and lengthening in a person. So that's one of the unique little attributes we wanted to build into our designs. And we've achieved that purpose, which is pretty satisfying. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, so you start working with Hillary and Jillian. Uh, and you guys kind of kick off on design and some technical. Is this when you start figuring out some of the fit stuff? Or where does that come in? Some of the what? The fit. Like how it's actually so, fit. Yeah. So par- the fit part actually um, started, let's take that back. Um, again, said I wanted to find a better way for men to dress. And so as part of our research up front, I also was just maniacally focused on fit. So here's the thing. I go buy a Calvin Klein. And because I have a very athletic build, um, it pulls tight at the shoulders, rides me up the underarms, and chokes me at the neck. Yeah. And it's usually pretty wide in the torso. And so it just isn't a good look. And after you wash it twice, all that gets, you know... Magnified. <laughs> yeah, it gets magnified worse. And so you're like, oh, God. You know, so everybody thinks you're running around trying to, you know, be a 19-year-old showing your muscles or something. <laughs> and so... Um, I also noticed that other people, how shirts just hung on them and they had excess material under the arms, excess material in the lower back. And so 
I started, you know, to really kind of dig into men's physiques and I actually got my hands. I am, I was reading actually a, a trade journal and I found that this company in San Francisco, um, had acquired some other company, which was all tech related business. But one of the assets that was on the list of, of things they acquired was this data they had acquired essentially from um, TSA scanner equipment. Now, oh. how, they, how they got it, the legality of Who what knows? they did, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But anyways, this company in San Francisco, which was really um, – investment company had it acquired that as part of their deal. And so I um, was reading this article and also about a company called Alvanon, which, you know, do a lot of consulting on the design side and, and stuff of apparel. And so working with them, we got a hold of that data and was able to get them to, you know, basically analyze it all. And I was absolutely sure that this is where my secret sauce was going to come from. And sure enough, what you find out is that 93% of men fall into two unique body types. And we're not talking muscles or, or where they carry their weight. I'm talking bone structure, fundamental bone structure. Okay. And their fundamental bone structure is either an upside down triangle or a rectangle. Ah, Okay. And what you find out is that the actual muscle development of a man is very unique to their body type. So if you're an upside down triangle, you actually have shorter muscles that are more dense and they're designed for impact. And so usually impacts, people who are drawn to impact sports tend to be um, tri upside down triangles in their body structure. Whereas rectangles, they actually have longer, leaner, more sinewy muscle, and they are actually designed for endurance. So pretty much all your endurance athletes, you know, from rock climbers to runners to, you know, the guys who bike 100 miles, whatever, almost all of them are going to be rectangles in their body structure. Wow, that's so interesting. And so as, so there's, as you can imagine, you know, how something would fit a triangle versus a rectangle is radically different. Yep. And... And it wasn't a statement on muscles because both of them could have muscles, uh, but it's how their muscles grow, how their muscles work, how it drapes their body. So again, for me being an upside down triangle, how a shirt fit me was tied in the shoulders, rode up my underarm, tied around the neck, blousey in the torso and too long. Yeah. And the, you know, take that same shirt, put it on a rectangle and it's going to be excess material in the underarms, a lot of material hanging out the lower back, low on the neck. So and even hanging over on the shoulder, across the shoulder. So both of them were not great looks, and it didn't improve, you know, again, once you washed it. So I thought, you know what, this is the solution to fit. If we can design to, you know, at least 93% of the men, those two body types, um, we can provide a unique solution, a unique offering, and effectively provide the best off-the-rack fit a man can get. It looks like it's custom made because it is so designed to those intricacies of the body type. And it fits him better because it falls directly into his specific height, not a five foot 11 guy. Right. It, it, well, so we decided we came up with what we called a three dimensional, you know, approach. Okay. So 
a man can, you know, within choose their, their height increment. So it's like five, four to five, 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 six to five, seven, five, eight to five, nine. So if you fall within one of those windows, you pretty much can guarantee that the shirt's going to nail you appropriately in the length. Okay. Now, you know, some guys have longer torsos, shorter legs, so sure. they've got to play with that, but it, it, it's the perfect length. And then obviously their size, small, medium, large, extra large, but key to the fit and the beauty of it all is the body type. So again, with those three dimensions, this three dimensional sizing system, um, it's the best off the rack fit a man can have. And the second thing we did is I made, we made sure that all the design elements were proportional to the height. So I go buy a dress shirt. Okay. The key elements like the collar, the cuff, um, you know, the pockets, you know, the placket, all that was still designed for a larger man. Right. So even though I, you know, got it hemmed or got it shorter, it still looks like it doesn't fit me. Like I'm still wearing, you know, my older brother's clothes or something. <laughs> and so I wanted to make sure that the collar, the cuffs, the plackets, the pockets, all that stuff was sized um, proportionately to the height. So that again, when you put on the shirt, it looks like it was made specifically for you. Yeah. And that's what we've done in Otero. We provide a, a perfect fit basically for those two body types. Um, and with the proportionality, it looks like it was a custom made shirt. So do you have, you said there's the five, four to five, six, four, five, four to five, 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 six to five, seven and five, eight to five, nine. Those are three different fits you have, plus you have the triangle and the rectangle. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, three times those two. You're already at six. They're 21 when you're all, small, when medium, you're all said and large, extra large. <laughs> so you guys really did segment it out to all those different... You got a lot of fits. Correct. Ah, wow. Which um, I don't it, know if... Which makes our business model pretty difficult for an yeah. average retailer. So, and for production, too. No, production was easy. Production was so, easy. Okay. So my expertise, as well as my business partner, um, is all in, um, we have a deep, deep experience in procurement and international sourcing and, right. you know, all that design side of it. Um, so that part was not difficult okay. at all. Okay. Uh, the, and work, the key was finding the right supplier. And that was a, a difficult process. I spent a lot of time there because my... I had a, a vision in my mind of the quality level that I wanted and the type of materials that people were used to. And, and, you know, I went to, you know, magic and the different trade shows and, and just was frustrated, frustrated, frustrated until I found the one. And when I found that one, I was like, that's it. This is what we need to do. We need to build a relationship here. So we did. And, they, you know, were used to doing very high-end stuff. Their client base is largely out of Europe. And so um, it was kind of a perfect fit. And they worked well with us on the sizing and, you know, the amount of units per, you know, size. Uh, and that part of the process was actually really easy. That's great to hear. You don't always hear that. I mean, you have expertise in that, so obviously that facilitated a lot of it. But yeah. Um, I've heard some rough stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know how, you know, we've been in a bazillion factories. Yeah. We've been in a bazillion, you know, um, 
you, we, it's just once you have that experience and you see it, you know, you know what to look for. You yeah. understand quality. You, know you understand flags. quality metrics. You understand systems, reporting. You know all the different aspects of things. So um, we also were one of the other things that was very important to us is that we found somebody who um, was had high ethics, ethics in terms of their labor force as well as their environmental impact. And so those were two other big pieces that were part of our qualification. And so we had to make, you know, for us, we wanted to make sure that that was at the highest levels. Yeah. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds. But real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. Okay, so you um, you found your contract designer, you got your fit all dialed in, and you found your supplier. So are you you dive straight into your first round of production? Yeah, so, you know, I start, once we, you know, on the design side, we started implementing the technique that we talked about with the, um, you know, lean and lengthening a man. And, you know, in this, we decided we were going to come up with four key designs and then the colors around that. And um, we did a lot of research on, you know, what we thought the color palette would be that is active, alive, but yet, you know, um, men would want. And so we got that down and we kind of moved pretty quickly into from the design side into starting to do, um, you know, getting our samples in and starting to, um, you know, adjust this, adjust that, adjust the different things, which you've got to do between translating your, you know, how we measure things versus how somebody else measures things. Right. Dialing it in, getting it right. We went through a couple of rounds of that and, um, and we were ready to go to production. So it took us Go ahead. pretty much um, a year and a half to get to that place of ready for production to give the ghost signal. Okay. So we actually launched the company. Um, like I said, it, it was in October of 2016. We um, went to market on March 2018. 2018 or 2017? 2018. So okay, it was so, so- a year and a half was the entire process pretty much. Okay, gotcha. So um, from there, okay, so you, you, you pulled the trigger on the bulk production, and then what were you doing in the background to, you know, create some buzz, build an audience, like build a customer base, um, you know, some anticipation and marketing so that when once the product landed on your doorstep or at the warehouse or wherever you do your distribution – you weren't then just like, okay, now we have to scramble to try to sell this. Were you doing any pre, pre-selling pre well, or what did you guys do? Well, from a business model perspective, we decided that we were going to go direct to the customer. Okay. We've, you know, we're trying some some alterations on that, which we can talk about later. But, you know, we decided this needed to be direct. Nobody was going to want to carry the inventory with, you know, 21 pieces per <laughs> color. Kind right, of thing. right. So, um you know, in the meanwhile, we've put together the infrastructure of, of you know, kind of pick, pack, and ship capability, um, you know, working on um, our website, getting that designed, getting 
imagery done, getting photography done, you know, all those key pieces, finding models, which is very difficult um, in terms of finding shorter they're men models. They're all 5'10". So they're all 6'1". All the models are 6'1", 6'2". Yeah, they're two, all quite know? tall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a real challenge for us. And, <laughs> but it was more getting all those you know, key pieces in place and starting to work on the branding and, and marketing collateral from that, you know, with not just the branding, but imagery. Um, you know, one thing that I thought was really important to launch something like this was to find a PR firm that could really help, you know, broadcast our message. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started working on those pieces, which were, you know, what kind of the articles we would want out there, you know, the announcements, that kind of stuff, and started kind of planning how to go to market with that. We also started working and started, you know, interviewing a bunch of um, digital marketing firms because, you know, one of the assumptions you make is that, you know, if you're going to be an online business only, that you reach people online, which is not necessarily the best assumption, but that's an assumption we made. And so, you know, found marketing firms and started to interview them. Um, those who excel in kind of digital marketing and, and reaching, you know, your target audience. Now, part of the problem for our audience set is, is you can reach males, but it's very hard to reach short males. There's no real right. way to designate that subset. Right. Like on and, Facebook advertising or something, that's not a checkbox. <laughs> right. And unfortunately, a lot of the, um, search engines no longer allow you to um, to create um, an avenue based on um, ethnicity. So, yeah. you know, you would think that there's various ethnicities that the majority of men are just, by definition, shorter. Right. But you can no longer put that target as a search criteria and a target that you're oh. going to go after. Okay. So that so was definitely that was a unexpected. Yes, that was yeah. unexpected. That was like, oh, oh crap. Oh, right. That makes sense. We just didn't know that. <laughs> right. Which means that, you know, in in theory, 60% of your dollar that you spend is going to be wasted. Right. So, you know, with 40% of the market being the shorter men. So what we decided to do is then pick just a um, certain number of cities that had a high concentration of certain ethnicities, um, realizing that that's going to change that ratio a bit and those the key places that we focused our marketing on is just those handful of key cities what kind of marketing were you doing exactly um you know digital ads basically you know placements retargeting um you know just getting the imagery the name the message the better way to dress for men five four to five nine getting that out there so that you know as anybody you know who fit our profile and our target in those specific cities, they got served up our, our ads. Yeah. And that was what we did there. And then PR got us placed in a number of magazines, number of, you know, kind of local and, and in those targeted cities. And, and so it was just trying to get out, you know, the message. And were you running all of this sort of right at launch? Yes. Okay. So you didn't do any, did you do any like pre-marketing or pre-build up to sort of build some anticipation, build an email list or anything? I know that's a strategy I've talked to a lot of designers about, um, you know, kind of taking them along with the development journey and then doing this like big launch to this audience that you've already grown. No, because again, I think it's very, it was very difficult for us to identify the target. Mm -hmm. 
in a unique way that we could capture them and say, this is coming. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we, you know, <clears throat> problem with startups, at least with us and a lot of other companies is that you don't have a lot of money going into it. Yeah. And so you're having to choose really carefully where each dollar goes and how, you know, efficient that dollar is going to be utilized. Yeah. So you got to make a lot of choices that, you know, I never think, you know, well, we could have done this or we could have kind of done that. Yeah, but we, you know, made decisions based on the information we had. And as we learn more, we adjust. Sure. But you don't really look back and, and, you know, kick yourself because, you know, you're doing the best with the information you have at that time. Yeah. And so that's how I approached it. And, um, but we were very careful. We had a lot of discussion, a lot of debate in the team about each dollar we spent and what avenues we were going to go down. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And so, you know, what we found instantly, you know, is that we started posting. So in, let me back up. In terms of the pre-messaging, we did start pre-messaging on Instagram and Facebook. And um, those were kind of the two that we started. We started posting the branding, started posting what we're about. Okay. You know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Gotcha. But we did that maybe a month before launch. Oh, so not much. Okay. So maybe 45 days at the most, but it wasn't a lot. But it okay. was like, you know, we're counting down. X number of, of weeks and X number of days and then boom, launch kind of a thing. Okay. So a couple questions. One, um, you brought up the financing and you keep referencing a team. So I'm curious to know, what does your team look like? I mean, obviously you have outsourced to various contractors and um, freelancers or PR agencies or things of that extent, but who, who makes up the core team? Well, the core team was myself, um, my business partner, Brett Lawrence, who is actually out of Dallas. So we all work remotely in okay. doing this. Okay. Uh, and we had a, a, another gentleman who helped us in terms of really with all the technology side of things. Um, we had a court t um, t team member who really kind of, we really wanted to establish a presence with blogging and having some great, you know, um, content there. And, if you go read our blogs, they're actually brilliant. They're phenomenal. They're fun. They're hilarious. They're, you know, they're great. So um, that person on team. And then we had a, um, a couple of investors, one investor who participated a lot on the marketing side. He okay. had prior experience running um, a marketing division in Apple. And so he really was involved with us in all our core marketing decisions. Okay, gotcha. And so then that leads me to my next question, um, and then I, of course, have some follow-ups after that. Um, you are welcome to uh, share or not share numbers or broad ranges um, or not at all, but but would you tell everyone, like, where did you get your financing and your funding? Because like you said, this is not cheap to do, um, and you do have to be mindful of where you spend your dollars. Where did you get the majority of the money to kick this all off? So, um, you know, me and my business partner put in some initial money, but we were obviously going to need to raise larger money for the um, production side of things. Okay. And so, you know, I'd started working, you know, networks, contacts, you know, from previous people that, you know, I had done deals with, whether it was at Hope Foods or prior relationships. And not a lot of people are interested in apparel. Um, it's a very risky space yeah. for most. And yeah. so, you know, I got in some contacts in LA, 
And they pretty much said, hey, this is a great idea, but you need to move to L.A. And I wasn't ready to move to L.A. So (laughs) for a number of reasons. So that kind of, um, you know, some of those avenues kind of didn't go anywhere. Then I started working through some bankers that um, I had done business with in the past. They hooked me up with so-and-so, hooked me up with so-and-so. And lo and behold, I ended up meeting a guy who um, had uh, done very successful, um, was very successful in exiting a deal that he had done. Um, he was one of the initial founders of Otterbox. Oh, okay. And But his prior experience, he spent a lot of years at uh, May & Company. So back when... Um, main company was the holding parent for what Macy's and a few of their other kind of um, smaller department stores. And he had worked there in fashion and, you know, on the buying side and on the design side. So he had a background and experience in in the apparel space. So he um, liked what we did and was willing to kind of take a first step to see what we do and what we'd do with it. And so he was kind of our core, um, investor that besides of besides us that helped get us launched and get us going okay gotcha um so so you so back to the the uh digital marketing that you guys were doing sort of right at launch to build that initial traction to get people to the site hopefully convert them to a sale um how did that go did that work for a launch strategy to like drive some traffic and and drive some conversions terrible Terrible. Oh, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> it worked terrible at first. Yeah, so talk about that. Well, again, you know, a lot of this is trial and error when you don't have uh, a target you can get to easily. Yeah. It, it would have been different if, you know, and like, for instance, if we could have targeted various ethnic minorities, um, I think that we would have had a different experience up front, but we couldn't. And so, you know, you're, you're diluting yourself a lot in terms of the dollars you spend. And so, and it's, it's pretty interesting because you can spend a lot of money on digital marketing. Yes. And one thing we found though, is that guys, remember I talked about how a guy walks into a store and goes just, just to his rack and then grabs his, his gray name. shirt. And like, yes. Getting a guy to change and to try something different is very difficult. Yes. And so, you know, we played with our messaging a bit. We actually revamped some of our imaging from, um, you know, semi-professional models to professional models. And, you know, it gave it a different look and feel. Um, and so, you know, we had to kind of just constantly be working the formula a bit to get the attention. And, and I think some of it, in terms of propping up a brand, it just takes time. It just takes time and, and repetition. And before a guy says, Oh, I'll try this. Yeah. And so, you know, my hopes for the launch, especially given the, the solution we've put together, you know, the best fit a guy can find off the rack. Um, and, and just to give you a feel, um, since March of 2018, when we launched, I've had, I think three returns. That oh, were, that's amazing. That were people who didn't want the shirt versus I've had some that were, you know, oh, I ordered the wrong size. I clicked the wrong button. Sure. You know, Operator oops, error. Yeah. You know, and we replaced it with a larger size. But we've only had, I think, three um, that were 
um, someone decided they didn't want the the garment. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah, so the you know once you get somebody to switch, um, you know it's been a, a compelling um, solution. They get it, they like it, you know they don't return it. It's nice. Uh, but getting that message, getting it conveyed, getting them um, to make that jump has been difficult. And so it takes time and consistency. And one of the things that, you know, you're tempted to do when things aren't going as fast as, tr- as change your, you know, is think, do we, did we get something wrong in the core message, you know? And I've been really saying, no, you know, this is a better way to dress for men five, four to five, nine. And we need to stick with that. We need to help people understand that there's a better way. And, you know, and let the images, let the, the activity on um, what we're doing. Cause right now social media is pretty much your main Avenue. If you don't want to, if you don't burn a lot of money sending up digital ads. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's consistency, messaging, confidence, and we've kind of been sticking with that theme now for quite a while to help get our base and, and continue to grow from there. But launch was very painful. It was very difficult. Yeah. From, not from an operations perspective. We nailed it all. We nailed everything. We nailed the timing. We nailed, I mean, all that went perfect. But, you know, the initial performance was just swallow hard and say, oh, God. What's <laughs> going on and how do yeah. we fix this? Yeah. Right. So you just, you slowly tweaked some things. Like you said, you adjusted your imagery a little bit. Um, and did you continue doing the digital messaging with these adjustments until you saw some stuff that started working? Or did you just switch to social media? Or what did you really do to kind of continue, you know, pushing the product and promoting it and, and start getting some of that traction? Mainly, um, I we stopped spending as much money on actual direct digital marketing Um focused far more on AdWords and driving people to our site. Ah, okay. And I think the investment in AdWords and then heavy on social media, so um, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, And the messages are different on LinkedIn, for instance. You know, it's much more professional and and very different than um, what we're doing on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Started doing, you know, ads, you know, buying ads and Facebook and Instagram, those brought a lot of people to our site. And I also took kind of the low end of our product set and, um, and our accessories, which is another thing I haven't talked about yet. We also have a line of men accessories. So we've got some great tees, polos, and um, some handmade kind of leather accessories. And I posted the, I got the lower ones, lower um, price shirts and accessories um, on Amazon. And so we're starting to develop that channel as well. Oh, interesting. How's that going? How long have you been doing that? Uh, just last few months. And, okay. um, you know, it's starting. Again, it can go a lot faster if you got more a lot of money to burn on advertising. <laughs> but we don't. So we're working with coupons and doing things that are more lower priced as a startup can do. Right. And, you know, just slowly and steadily gaining traffic. And so it sounds like you're maybe focusing, like you said, with the digital ads, you're trying to target this um, five four to five nine guy, which is very hard to do because there's no data on people's height. Um, but with some of the ad words and being very strategic with that, maybe if guys are searching for, you know, shirts for short guys or something like that, you can be right. picked up a lot more easily based off of those matches. 
Right. And so, you know, we've successfully just targeted from when you first launch, you're on page three or five of, you know, any Google search and getting, you know, working it, working it, working it and creating content, especially like with the blogs and backlinks and all the tricks that you do to, you know, have Google rank you higher and, and get yourself finally to a place where you appear on page one. And so, you know, each page that we grew in was, something to celebrate, you know, from page five to page four, yay, yeah. page four, page three, yeah. yay, you know, I know and so I when it. you finally appear on page one, you're like jumping up and down with a few yays, so. Has the blog helped with that? Because this is a strategy I've um, talked to other startup brands about that has worked really well for them. So it's like, I'm not just trying to get you to the main page of my site to buy my product, but I'm creating peripheral content that's still very relatable to you that might just come up. You're going to trip over this blog post. You said they're really awesome. They're fun. They're funny. And then they kind of fall more organically into your product. How have you seen results from that? Um, I think that that's a big piece of what has um, helped us improve our ranking. Mm. in the organic Google searching. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we pay for some ads on, you know, um, Google Words and stuff, so we show up there, but we wanted our organic searching to get, so um, to improve. And I think the blogs had a huge, huge impact on that. Okay. And they are. um, The the writing is phenomenal, um, and the messaging in each one of them is really great. And, you know, we cover all sorts of, of topics, you know, that... Um, guys would generally be interested in and um, but you know wouldn't necessarily just stop to go research it out or find it out unless you know there was a very quick and easy way for it to be served up to a mono platter right you know? right so you know everything from favorite summer cocktails to you know um, what happened you know a guy who's sick and dealing with the you know the overreactive drama man who is calling in sick um father's day you know world cup you know memorial kind of um experiences to family traditions to you know there's a lot of different things that we've done that i think um provide a pretty broad swatch of of interest yeah um and one of the other things that was really this is something that is really interesting so when I first put together my business plan, I had a page that said, I want, my dream is to have a virtual dressing room. I want men to be able to, you know, and this goes to making sure that we don't have returns and stuff like that, is to somebody be able to try on the garment. And, you know, so I started looking into all these technologies and, and you know, people, you know, one thing you find about guys, they will never take a picture of themselves and send it in to you you know, the majority of guys. So you're not going to be able to determine, you know, fit or size by engaging a guy that way. Right. So I had this dream of doing a virtual dressing room. Um, in all that development process, you know, realized that there's just no way I can afford this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the technology is like trying to build an e-commerce site 20 years ago. Like you are just going to pay. <laughs> right. So come to find out, I last, it was, um, I think, when was it? I don't know, maybe six months after um, we had launched. I was out in New York for um, a meeting. So I meet this guy in the back of the room, start talking to him. He's developed um, a system for a virtual dressing room, and him and I created a relationship. 
He liked us. So he got his team very active in developing and implementing this on our site, and it works brilliantly. It's integrated into our site, but when a person is accessing the dressing room, it's actually accessing their server, so it's not running off of ours, but it's seamless to the customer. Mm -hmm. So if you go to our site, there's a try it on button. And if you hit try it on, it this little window opens up and with five measurements, it will create a personal avatar. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason you only need five measurements is because um, Perfectly is the name of the company, have you know accessed tons of data on bodies, muscles, the physics of it all, and you know put together these amazing algorithms so that if you put in these five key measurements, they will create it creates an avatar that's exactly your body shape. And you don't have to upload your picture, which is so awkward <laughs> for anyone. Right. And yeah. So then you can do is drag the shirt over. It will recommend the shirt that you, you know, if you had a style, it'll recommend your height, your sure. size, and your body type. Sure. Um, and you can turn it around 360 degrees. You can drill in to actually see my logo on the button. Um, so the precision is amazing. And it also, which is really interesting, the technology is such that it changes based on the material. So we had to send them um, all our various materials. They were able to get that all digitized in a way that how our high-end mercerized cotton is going to fit on the avatar right. is very different than how our cotton jersey shirt fits. Right, right. So how it lays, how it flows, you know, where the yeah. creases are. And so you can have that on. And let's say that, you know, you um, – somebody who maybe still wants something a, a larger size or a different, you know, you can actually just go and say, Oh, let me see how this would look in a medium versus a small or right. how it would look in a five, six, seven versus a five, four, five, five. Right. So you can just click and it will literally change and you can see how it will look on your body. Yeah. That's amazing. Is that something and you're, when did you guys implement that? So we implemented that probably nine months ago. Okay. And, so a little like, uh, like six months after launch or so. And so um, now if somebody, you know, from that, they can just put add to cart and it just is added to cart and seamlessly they can continue shopping or trying a different shirt. Do you have any um, data or like feedback from your customers on how that experience is? And if that's helped with um, getting them to convert to sale, like, okay, you know what, this actually does look good on me and I can picture it versus before you guys had that? I don't have any direct data except for the fact that I've only had three returns. Okay, I mean, that's pretty telling. In an industry and where returns, returns are usually very high. And those three returns happened in the um, probably within the first four or five months. Okay, so prior to the dressing room. Correct. Very cool. Can you, What was the name of the company again? Pertfitly. Okay, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, and so in our, you know, we definitely do a, a piece on them um, on our blog, which if somebody wanted to look at, they could. Cool. Um, understand it, but it's spelled P-E-R-F-I-T-L-Y. Gotcha. Perfect. And so they've done, a, I think, a brilliant job. Um, and they did a lot for accommodating us. In other words, they literally pulled in their development plan um, that was, you know, six months out or nine months out into our solution. So we are, what we needed helped drive them a little further, help them achieve, you know, different things. And we were very involved in the process, which kept pushing them to, um, I think really even improve their product. So they were very, um, you know, the relationship was very collaborative and, yeah. and very 
positive and successful. Both groups really benefited from it. That's amazing. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, you guys have implemented a lot of little tweaks. Like you said, you think you're doing the right thing in the moment. Sometimes you learn afterwards. We need this. We should have done that. But that's just part of the process. I mean, sometimes you just have to go through it yourself. You can hear all the lessons from all the other people and apply all the knowledge, you know, from, you know, all the other experience you've had. But, but like you said, sometimes you just learn. Um, but it sounds like you guys are, you know, getting to a really great spot. What do you have coming up for the next, you know, six to 12 months? Well, we are altering our strategy a bit. What I have found is that when, you know, conveying the quality of our product is sometimes very difficult digitally, conveying the look and feel. But if you can get people to touch it, to feel it, to see it, and to talk to you and hear your story, it develops a lot of excitement. So we've done a number of pop-ups and um, at various locations. Most recently, we did one at Gorin Brothers in um, downtown Denver. And you know, just seeing the response of people to actually, again, touch VLC was very different. And so we are actually starting a, um, a series of what we call alternate shopping experiences, working with a company called Shop AF. They host um, these specialty retail um, shows in over the next, you know, um, five months in six different cities. So Denver... Boston, Austin, um, New York, a couple other places. And the idea is that they bring in 60 vendors, you know, half are non-apparel based um, or a little more than half. And then of that, half are men, half are female focused. And they're looking for things that are unique, that, you know, complement each other so that, you know, people aren't on top of each other in terms of the same product. And what they do is they literally sell tickets for people to come have an alternate shopping experience and finding really unique crafty, um, you know, handcrafted kind of, um, product. So you have people come to these, they've paid to come. So they come with an intention versus just, you know, strolling. And apparently they get between three to 5,000 people, um, at a shot to come Mm -hmm. and, you know, which is a great opportunity to have a few thousand people, touch, feel, see, you know, your product. So even if, you know, let's just say they bring in 4,000 and they say it's pretty equally split men and women, um, you know, and if you think of the number of men um, and even the women who have men who are shorter men, sure. I mean, that's a great visibility, great exposure. So yeah, that's huge. we're going to be going to the, some of those kinds of events and making sure that um, our product is seen. And I think that's going to be a key piece to helping really, again, develop traction. Yeah. No, we've, uh, I've definitely talked with some other brands on the show. Um, I think, you know, unless you, like until your name is really known and you have that following, it is hard because people don't quite know, like, well, what is the quality? And a lot of guys don't know what the difference in like the fabric description actually means. Correct. So, um, and a lot of women too, right? A lot of people just don't. Right. And so we're also going to be, and and so one of the strategies here though, is I'm not bringing inventory. I'm bringing each shirt, each color, um, and all the accessories. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to work what I would call a hybrid for retail, which means somebody comes, they see it, they touch it, they feel, and then we order right there from the website. It gets delivered to their house within two days. Oh, perfect. 
they don't have to carry anything. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. And I'm also now trying to take that into having discussions with actual retailers of, uh, of high-end men's stores and saying, hey, what if we put a sample set here? And um, we create a custom landing page for you. So that way, if your customer who's on the shorter end, you can direct them here. And if they want to buy, you can enter it in on your custom landing page. It gets delivered to the customer. You get commission. And that customer is locked to you as a store. So if he comes back and buys from us over the next two years, you still get the commission. Oh, interesting. Is that something you're, so, you're thinking about implementing? Or have you already been talking to stores about this? I'm, I'm, talk, I'm starting those discussions. Okay. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. But the idea is they don't have to carry the inventory. Right. They don't There's have no risk really anything overhead. at yeah. risk. And, you know, we'll be committed contractually to, you know, make sure that any follow-on buys, they get that commission. So it really, you know, for a little bit of square footage to give up, um, they don't have anything in terms of financially out of their pocket exposed right. at risk. Right. Interesting. I like that idea a lot. Um, I'll be curious to check in with you in the future and see how that goes. Um, we're, we're going a little over time, but I have one last question. What have the logistics been like from your side you know, we talked about the fact that you've got 21 fits and then you have colorways on top of that, right? I think you said you have four key styles, but then you also have like t-shirts and you got all these different fabrics and stuff. And so and then you have colors, right? This starts to become a lot of different skews. Um, so you said it wasn't too hard for production, but how has that been for you in terms of keeping and managing your inventory? And it's like, oh gosh, is this size selling a lot more than this or this fit a lot more than that? Has that been a, a growing pain? No. No. Oh, great. We, 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 you know, we put in processes up front for all that and, you know, we can reorder in lots of hundred. Oh, so, great. So we don't have to, um, you know, come with some big buy and wait for everything. We can replenish pretty in stream in process. Okay. So no, not difficult. Okay. Okay. Cause I, the first thing I think just when staying I staying on top of things and having the data access to the data, <laughs> yeah. managing the data, which is stuff that people don't like to do, but if you do it, you stay on top of the game. Yeah. Then you know, like where you have holes where you need to start filling in and having that, uh, relationship with your supplier to have those small reorder minimums is fantastic. Yeah. That helps quite a bit. Um, my, my first, Whenever I hear people that are running so many SKUs, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like you get spread so thin um, and trying to like manage all those and making sure you have every size, every colorway, every fit. Uh, but it sounds like you have it dialed in, so that's fantastic. Yeah, and we, we got a pretty clear, um, you know, reporting system. And so the data is very available to us. So gotcha. we get to watch that and, um, you know, when we need to move, we can move. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Steve, it was so nice to chat with you. Um, where can everybody find you online and, and look a little bit more at what you guys are doing? Just Otero Menswear. And so on, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's, you know, two words, or you can put it in as one word either way it shows up. Okay. And our website is OteroMenswear.com. O-T-E-R-O so, Menswear. Okay, perfect. Correct. So and, come visit. Yeah. And uh, explore. Yeah, awesome. And then one last question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, what is one thing people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they would? Um, one question that they ask about that I wish they would ask about working in fashion. Yeah, they don't ask it, but you kind of wish they would ask you about it. 
Well, for me, I think that they don't ask, but I wish they would is for me, it's about, um, what about fashion and this business that drives me? I didn't come into it because of school. I didn't come into it because of, you know, uh, I came in it to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm really good at solving problems. And that really drove my vision behind it. And so I think people, um, look at things purely from an industry perspective in fashion and they don't, they don't really, they don't seem to understand that I didn't come from that space. I came to solve a personal problem that I think a lot of men share. And in that personal problem, I was able to figure out the rest, including the, you know, key attributes of the apparel kind of space. Yeah. And I just, you know, I wish people would ask more about what the heart is behind it, you know, what the dream and vision was behind it. Yeah. And like you said, it's really to solve a problem. And, and like we talked about earlier in the interview, it comes down to some of these body image issues that everybody has, male or female, doesn't matter. And sometimes the clothes you put on can make you feel really great and boost your confidence. And sometimes they make you feel really terrible. So if you can like help someone feel better, then that's a huge success at the end of the day. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, thank you so much. It was run- wonderful to chat with you. And thanks for being so transparent and sharing uh, your journey with everyone. You bet. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate having you here on this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I'd also like to give a big shout out to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing and makes the show possible, as well as my right-hand woman, Tara, who does so much behind the scenes that a lot of you guys don't see, but she makes sure the episodes get out and into your ears on Monday. So thank you so much, Tara. Again, thank you to you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. And as a quick reminder, SFD is way more than just a podcast. I publish tons of free content, templates, tutorials, eBooks, and all sorts of stuff on getting ahead in the fashion industry. You can access all of that at soheidi.com slash email. Again, com slash email. You can also follow me on Insta. I'm moderately, fairly active there. I try to do my best. That's always at SoHeidi, or just SoHeidi, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I on Insta. I'd love to connect with you there. As always, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes wherever you're listening. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in the next successful fashion designer podcast episode.